Welcome to Business Talk Sister Crack. I'm Becca and today's episode title is what is cryptocurrency and good news is I'm not the one explaining it to you because I actually have an expert here Ethan Turrer and I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right is that correct? Yeah that's right thanks. Ah, nice killed it without even knowing it. <laughs> Okay. So, um, the first question I have for you about this, what do you do? Like, what, what are you doing right now? Right now I'm on your podcast. Um, I would say, (laughs) what do I do in general? Um, I'm an author, um, actually Quinn or not Quinn this term, but I've been using the term authorpreneur because I'm trying to turn my book into a business. Um, so that's what I've been focusing on. And I also do like crypto consulting where, I've been helping like my publisher uh, try to turn their books into like NFTs. So I I can get into that if you want, but kind of a lot of things in like the crypto space, basically. Wow. That's really interesting. I've not heard of that books into NFTs. So maybe we will get into that later. (laughs) Okay. So um, why did you start doing it? Why did I start? Uh, You know, I was in college. uh, I studied entrepreneurship and I was really into just innovation and big ideas. All my friends were like pursuing what they thought the future was going to be. And um, it wasn't until my internship in college, I was working for this tech startup in San Luis Obispo. And Mm -hmm. it was during this Bitcoin bubble, which was happening. I don't know if you remember this, but at the time, Bitcoin was reaching an all-time high of like $20,000. And that was like all the rage. (laughs) Now it seems like such such a long time ago because... Bitcoin's reached like 60,000. But um, at the time, 20,000 was a big deal. And this tech startup that I was interning for wanted to use cryptocurrency in some way. And so they put me in charge of their crypto project. And that was really my first exposure to it It was like, hey, here's this thing we want to do, like figure it out. And um, luckily, that's that's where I seem to thrive. Internships are. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it was actually a great experience. And they liked what I was doing so much that they hired me full-time after I graduated so um yeah really really happy I went down that rabbit hole <laughs> but uh it's just it was a lot um to take in and this was 2018 um and that's also when I had the idea for my book so just like a lot happens in that year <laughs> for me yeah yeah so let's talk a little bit about what you figured out when you got put in charge of this project how does cryptocurrency work yeah I, I mean so on like a fundamental level, right? Because like there's many different ways it works now, but fundamentally, uh, cryptocurrency was made to solve this problem of consensus, right? So if you think about it, we have to trust in our society, the government, the bank, like our employers, like there's a lot of trust that happens with third parties just to exist today. The fact that we're having this conversation right now over Zoom, right? Your trusting Zoom is going to record this, send you the data so you can use it on your podcast. And you have all these other platforms that you have to trust just to edit your podcast, publish it, like Amazon, Google, like all these companies, like we've just kind of assumed that they're honest actors, right? And they're doing what we want. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, all they care about is money. (laughs) So taking that concept, right? And then introducing now decentralization, which is this idea that you could have all of these things we have today in society, but now you can decentralize it on a network, right? And so the first network that was created was Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And this network was um, working, they're all working together in tandem 
they're validating transactions. So they had like a new currency network that was the primary purpose of Bitcoin. It's like a peer-to-peer transactional or like electronic network. So that was that was basically it. It was like decentralized currency for the first time. Like digital money was what people were calling it. Um, but now it's become so much bigger than that. And so what really cryptocurrency is, it's the next era of the internet. It's the decentralization of everything. And that's what blockchain technology has enabled. And so I'm going to just put a plug in there. If you don't know what blockchain is and this kind of like where cryptocurrency started and stuff, I actually did an episode with uh, called what is blockchain. And that was with Carter Wetzel. So you should go check that one out as well. Um, And so I just want to clarify really quickly, because when I first started talking um, to people about cryptocurrency, when people would say like, it's on a network and it's like validation, like those are really confusing terms for me. So I'm just going to try to see if I understand myself. Um, Mm -hmm. A network would be like a place where there's a lot of servers connected to another place with a lot of servers in multiple places. So that's like the network itself, right? Right. Yeah. Those are like, those are called nodes. So I don't want to like overwhelm your audience with terminology, but let's just say that if Amazon has like one big data farm, like a server thing, they can, that's how they control everything. Mm-hmm. Like a Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency would be a decentralized version of that where it would be like, you know, servers in people's houses or like small companies or, you know, just everywhere around the world. So that way it's, it's, uh, it's like decentralized. That's, that's the term that we throw around a lot. But the idea is that you don't have like one point of attack. You don't have like a single place with all the servers. You have... Mm-hmm a network where they're spread out everywhere around the world. Okay. Got you. I just wanted to clarify that. And then the validation is when one server or when a individual checks with multiple servers to say, yep, the data is consistent. It's like almost like I would say it as like account reconciliation for bookkeeping. Right. Yeah. That they're trying to, they all get a copy of all of the transactions. So that's why it's called like a, a block would be kind of like a transaction. And then the chain of blocks or the blockchain that's it. That's pretty much you're tracking all of the transactions and you're making sure you're validating, verifying is another way of saying it, that everything is true on that blockchain. And so that you can trust that every new transaction that's validated and added to the blockchain is legitimate. And it's, um, it, it would be like if the federal reserve was like validating every time you like wrote a check, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're trusting the federal reserve is doing their bookkeeping correctly. <laughs> But if they make a mistake, they can fix it on their end. You kind of have to trust that they're honest actors. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to do that with blockchain because the the network is checking itself constantly. And so mm-hmm. it's all public what the transactions are. Um, you could, if you know enough, you could, you know, do an audit of the blockchain um, or you could pay a company to do it. So that happens a lot. People audit the blockchain. There's, but the, the core of it is that you're trusting the code. You don't have to trust a person. And so they, you don't have to worry if there's like an honest actor or not mm-hmm. um, as much. I, I'll premise that because there are, have been examples where there's still been people that take advantage. But anyways, at the core, it's supposed to be a trustless system. So that's that's why people are yeah. so excited about it. Okay, so that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I my next question with that, because I know that we're comparing it to, let's say, the Federal Reserve. So how does it retain value? Mm. So I'm going to start off by comparing like the U.S. dollar and how the U.S. dollar is retained value over time, because 
I think that's an important part of this conversation as well, but I will definitely address like cryptocurrency. Um, so if you look at the US dollar, right, over time, it's been losing its value, right? So it's, there's been inflation, basically, like, $1 is still $1, but you can buy less things with it over time. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a really big problem when it comes to like US currency and the fact that the Federal Reserve has been printing printing trillions and trillions of dollars in the last, you know, 10 years, like we, we really have been devaluing our currency. Mm -hmm. And so in my book, I talk about like, um, the Roman Empire and how that fell, because um, a lot of that had to do with how they were devaluing their currency. Um, I can get into that as well. But I think the idea of currency and valuation is a really important conversation. And one of the things that leads to devalue, devaluing your currency is increasing the supply of it, right? Mm -hmm. So the more supply is printed, right? Like trillions of dollars, like we have seen with the pandemic, also before that with the 2008 uh, financial crisis, the more money we print, the less value our currency holds. Um, but with Bitcoin, right? Which is like the first cryptocurrency, uh, there is a cap, like there's a maximum supply of 21 million Bitcoins. So I think I heard that 90% of all Bitcoins have already been mined. So there's scarcity built into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. That's what gives it value. The more demand there is for Bitcoin at like a limited supply, the higher the price goes. So really it's just, you know, supply and demand, which drives the value of Bitcoin. But um, the limited supply is the key feature, I think. And then there's this other aspect of it called having. So H A L half. Having, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, basically, uh, there's a reward system for miners. So when you validate a transaction, right, on, on the Bitcoin network, uh, the reward is Bitcoin, or you know, I think it, there's like a certain number of Bitcoins you get for doing this verification process. Um, the reward has become um, less and less Bitcoins over time. So I think when it started, you know, it could have been 10 Bitcoins and now we're at like two or something. And so since the price of Bitcoin keeps going up, every time there's a halving in the like reward, basically it's a deflationary process where you, there's less currency being added to the network. And so because there's less currency over time being added, there's even more scarcity and that drives the demand even higher. So right before ha the halving event, which happens around every four years um, based on the number of transactions, um, right before having event, like the price will just skyrocket, which is what happened when the 2017, 2018 bubble occurred and the price like skyrocketed $20,000. Like that was because of a halving event. And people um, knew it was coming or does nobody know? Yeah, yeah. There's like websites that are dedicated to like, when is the next halving? I, it is around every four years, so it's probably going to be coming up soon. Maybe that's why everyone's like, oh, it's coming to 100,000. Um, a lot of Bitcoin also is hype. So yeah, uh, I would be careful who you listen to. Um, I actually don't speculate on price stuff too much, which is why I feel um, a little like I'm not the best person to talk about it. Um, I'm not like day trading cryptocurrency or anything. Um, I just have like more of a high level view. So Mm -hmm. So let me understand it. It it if you have one Bitcoin and the halving happens, you now have mm -hmm. two Bitcoins. No, so um, 
it's specifically for like miners, like validators. Um, so, so everyone else in the network, like it doesn't affect their cryptocurrency. It's more about the supply aspect of it. So remember how I was saying that the federal reserve has been like adding more and more currency to, um, like the supply, like trillions of dollars, um, like that will take away from the value, right? Because if there's more currency, that means more people have money to buy things. And so it drives the prices of goods and services up, right? But with Bitcoin, it's the opposite. There is less and less currency being added to the network over time. And so it drives the prices of things down, right? Which is why it's deflationary. Um, that's why if you hold Bitcoin right now, um, it looks like if you're thinking about it, like only in like Bitcoin terms, like it looks like the prices of all goods that you could buy with Bitcoin are going exponentially, right? Um, and that's that's what I mean by deflationary is um, people are buying it because it keeps going up in price, um, whereas the US dollar keeps going down in price, which is why we have this bad inflation problem right now. Okay, so we probably got a little too technical there, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So how does one um, create or not create, obtain a cryptocurrency? Like if you wanted to buy it, where would you get it? I would say there's two main ways that you can buy cryptocurrency. One is with um, a online wallet, right? So those those are like, um, if, if your audience has heard of Ethereum, like MetaMask is the most popular online wallet. Basically, you go to like MetaMask. There's like an app for it now. You just download the app, create an account. I think you might have to verify your identity. And then you just connect it to your bank. And then you can buy like Ethereum, like ETH with your cryptocurrency. Another popular exchange is called Coinbase. They're on like the S&P, like NASDAQ. And Coinbase is great because I think it's one of the most widely traded exchanges. So you can basically buy any cryptocurrency on Coinbase. Um, and there's just many exchanges. The other option is like a, a hardware wallet, which is more for like an advanced user. Um, there's two main ones that I, I've heard of. It's like Tre Trezor and Ledger. They're basically like USB drives where you get like a, a secret phrase that protects your wallet from being hacked and it's offline. So it's less likely to be hacked by people. Hmm. And then you can like buy cryptocurrency and store it um, on your hardware wallet. So those are like the main ways. <laughs> you said that would be a bummer to lose. <laughs> yeah, it's always a bummer when you lose money, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, if you lose your wallet or USB yeah. drive. <laughs> okay. So um, how does like a different coin i know we just talked about bitcoin specifically but there's multiple cryptocurrencies out there correct yeah there's thousands yeah 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 so and and one of the ones that i was looking at there's like called stable coin and what is that why is it different than the rest of the coins why was it created so stable coin is a different category of cryptocurrency is not like a, there's not like a specific cryptocurrency called stable coin okay the number one uh, stable coin right now is called tether and Tether is tethered to the US dollar, right? So the way that you think about it is that cryptocurrencies, one of their biggest criticisms is that it's like too volatile, right? Like the price of Bitcoin just keeps going up and down like crazy amounts. There's no way you could actually use it as a medium of exchange, right? To buy goods or services. So Tether came in like with stable coins. Um, I actually talked to the, the founder of the stable coin. So it's kind of, Funny, uh, hmm. J.R. Willett, he he's one of the founders of this idea of a stable coin. Basically, um, instead of the price going up, right, it's fixed at one, 
and it's supposed to mimic the price of like the US dollar so that it doesn't matter how many you know stable coins are bought like the demand isn't affecting the price of it and so that way you can be um, confident within like a margin of error like it I don't think the price changes more than like five cents or something like that um, that you're going to be able to use those for like a medium exchange within cryptocurrency so that's been a great example of how cryptocurrency can adapt to like being able to need a st- like, like a stable price right you have a stable coin so that's that's basically okay, I have so many questions and we're like running out of time so fast. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of questions right now about environmental impact of crypto and um, why is this causing a concern? I'm just not really un- understanding that entirely because they're saying, oh, well, people are mining stuff and it's bad for the environment. So even before I got involved with cryptocurrency, the media, you know, like news media was always coming up with something to say like why it's going to fail right why bitcoin will go to zero there's always some argument against it the the latest one has been energy and even with like elon musk saying like oh we won't accept bitcoin to pay for teslas because it's bad for the environment right like a lot of people have made this argument now so to address this um i will say that right now the way that bitcoin is set up it's not supposed to be energy efficient like it was never designed to be that And so I guess you could say it's like a legitimate criticism, but if you look at other assets, right, like gold, for instance, how much energy do you think it takes to mine gold, like actually dig it out of the ground and then not only mine it, but then you have to transport it somewhere, like probably across the world on like a big ship. And then it has to go to like a vault somewhere like underground and be maintained. Like it's, there's so much energy, even with banks, like data servers, like every industry that has value also consumes a lot of energy. That being said, Bitcoin is not energy efficient, um, but it wasn't designed to be. So it's not like, I don't know, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Um, For instance, the reason why Bitcoin is not energy efficient is because of the way that they, I mentioned this term consensus earlier, basically like think about it, like your network has to agree, right? And so when you agree, you have to come to a consensus, right? And so with Bitcoin, the way that they come to consensus, it takes a lot of work, right? It's called proof of work. So the work that they're doing are solving these computers. So the computer's running like so many different like processes just to like mine a new Bitcoin. And so because all of the work that's being created takes a lot of energy, but the, the problem is that there's no control over like what, how people are using energy. So some people have actually used nuclear energy to mine Bitcoin. Like that's a thing that's existed. Maybe that's the most efficient way to do this. Um, other people, it's like they're using coal power and stuff. So there's there's no way to know really. Um, yeah. But at the who... same time, PayPal, Apple, Visa, they all have big servers and like massive amounts of people keeping that information secure too, right? Yeah. But what, what you're seeing in the crypto space right now is a movement towards proof of stake, which is a more energy efficient um, consensus. And so stake, meaning like you have a stake in the network, basically all the validators like put money in. And so they're less likely to, you know, be bad actors if they have, if they're also losing, you know, in a case where the network is compromised. So that's like proof of stake is what like Ethereum is moving towards. For instance, Bitcoin will probably never change. So it will always have the criticism of being energy inefficient, Um, but other cryptocurrencies are adapting. And so I think it's good to think about it as like, as long as the general industry is like being energy efficient, it's probably fine. Bitcoin just happens to be the one 
energy thing we can't really control because it's never going to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my last question on this, and then we probably have to move into the gawk portion of the episode, but can cryptocurrency be hacked and can you break it at all? Has this happened before? Yeah. Many times actually. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) here's what has never been hacked, um, which maybe will give you more, um, solace, uh, or comfort is that the blockchain really hasn't been hacked. So the idea of like solving like these really complex puzzles, in order to validate for like the network, there's never been a hacker who's living like, oh, I, I know a way to like make sure this process isn't secure. So that that part of the the network is good and that's never been hacked. The parts that have been hacked, it's called a 51% attack. Basically, there have been smaller networks um, in the crypto space where it doesn't take that much energy or, or um, processing power to like take 51% control over a network. And once you have 51%, you can basically you know, do what you want. Like you could say that you have all of these cryptocurrency that you don't have, move them onto an exchange and basically steal all the value from that network. That's happened. Um, for instance, Ethereum had it, it happened where someone like hacked the network. Um, they stole a bunch of things from the network. And so in order to solve that problem, um, Ethereum had to fork, which fork just means like divide. Right. And so they had to go to um they had to fix the problem they had and give their currency back mm-hmm. to the people that it was stolen from and they like patched the code that was like the problem and now they they have like the theorem that we know about but then the old ethereum is called ethereum classic and that's the one that um people don't really use as much so the forking has been like the solution to hacking i guess in uh, the crypto space but i'm i'm just trying to understand this like you when you fork something you say here take everything you had and replace it with this new currency for everybody that lost and the people that had just it in their wallet and we're not going to do the old currency anymore because it's not trustworthy right so it's like you're making now you have two copies of the same cryptocurrency one one copy is the one where like the hack never happened because we solved the problem and everyone like has their money so we're all happy the other one is like here's everyone that got hacked and we're not going to use this currency anymore. So it doesn't really matter anyways. We're moving to this new one. So the hackers have the old currency and it's not as viable. So kind of the joke was on them, I guess. Interesting. But that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So let me just ask you about your book name, because I know you had mentioned it a couple of times, but what is it and where can people find it? And where can people find you? Yeah. So my book is called The Next Gold Rush, The Future of Investing in People. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm on Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. So um, if you just look look up my name, Ethan Turr, um, you'll pretty much be able to find me. I think my Instagram right now is Van Life Book Tour because I bought a van with Bitcoin and I went on a book tour. So <laughs> that, okay. that was uh, my motivation for that. Okay, awesome. I will also say too that Ethan is going to be with me next week as well. This is a two-part series. So if we didn't get to the uh, some of your questions or what you're wondering about, that's okay because we're going to be talking about what is social currency next week. And um, some of these conversations I think will will pour into that. So definitely stick around if you're listening. And um, we're going to transition now into the sister gawk portion. And I think, I don't know if I 
describe this to you, Ethan, but when my sister and I started the podcast together, we called it um, Sister Gawk because to gawk means to stare openly and stupidly and <laughs> just talk about ridiculous things. And so um, what's, what's beautiful about this is that you have a couple, one story that we're going to talk about today, and he's got another one next week. So you should definitely stay to the end of that. Um, okay. You were telling us about this in your Instagram handle, you bought a van. So mm -hmm. I want to hear all about this story. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually kind of funny because I, for myself, I wanted to go on, I wanted to do van life after I read the book. I was like determined to go on a trip. Like I had just spent like the whole pandemic inside my house and I wanted to like travel. So um, I was looking at vans and I came across this one that was being sold by this German couple. Uh, they were traveling from Germany. And what I didn't realize was the kind of crazy um, level of events that would happen in order to buy this van from them. Um, just for the record, it's like a white Ford E150. Um, when I agreed to meet with them, they they came to our, um, came to, I wanted to get it like checked out, like fully inspected. And so- Wait, wait, wait. I, Are you, yeah. do you live in California though? Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. So how did they get a van across an ocean? So they, what they did is that they knew someone here who had one, um, who sold it to them. So uh, okay. they bought it okay. from someone like three months prior. And so they were only planning to like use it for three months. Um, the crazy thing was that when I met them in person, they're like, oh, we don't have the title. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how can you sell it to me if you don't have the title? Um, and so I, like for me, that would have, <laughs> yeah, it would have been a deal breaker for anyone else, but I really liked the van. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'll work with you. I'll try to figure this out. And what ended up being like the craziest thing ever was that basically they filled out this paperwork wrong with the DMV, right? The Department of Motor Vehicles. Mm -hmm. And so I became very friendly with the DMV. <laughs> um, I have been yeah, there and done that. So I know, yeah, I know what that's it was, like. <laughs> it, was, it was just insane because um, basically they didn't have the right paperwork and all of the originals were sent to the DMV in like a like electronic thing so um it's like a virtual DMV thing and by the time I was ready to buy them they were going to fly back to Germany so they weren't even going to be in the country they're like are you, are you ready to sell I'm like no because I don't have the title I can't I can't buy anything from you and so I thought like my family thought I was being scammed the whole time they're like Ethan why are you doing this Ethan you're so dumb Ethan, why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is this like, is why you shouldn't buy cryptocurrency. Yeah. You're too trusting in people. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and you know what? They would have been right, uh, except I, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character. So um, anyways, it became crazy because we agreed early on that they wanted to be paid in Bitcoin, right? And so I had to figure out, even though like I wrote a book, I never really had, it was like $5,000. It was like a lot of money. I never really paid for something with Bitcoin before I'd only bought it myself. Um, and so we ended up using Coinbase. Uh, they created a wallet, I created a wallet. And this was all happening like very quickly. And so when I moved my money from my bank to the Coinbase account, um, it, the Coinbase was like, it's gonna take us 10 days before you can actually withdraw it. And I was like, what? what? So okay. I, I didn't realize this, but um, there's like a period, they wanna make sure you're not gonna like do anything fraudulent. Mm -hmm. So they put these like limits for like when you can, you can like start trading immediately with it, but you can't like withdraw it from Coinbase until like mm -hmm. 10 days have passed. When the day, when the day came where I was going to buy it from the German couple, 
um, I had to show them that I, I couldn't send them anything except for like, I think it was like $500 worth of Bitcoin. So they were like, had to trust me now because of this crazy situation where they wanted cryptocurrency. Like at first, I, like, I didn't even really technically have the title. What I ended up doing is um, they signed this power of attorney document so that I could like sign on their behalf while they were gone. It just was, it was just this nuts. So like, now, I don't even know if like, I'm like describing it. It was just insane. You have to make sure you're not scamming that. Yeah. <laughs> then they're, then they're in Germany and they're like, uh, are you going to send us the Bitcoin now? And I'm like, haha, I've scammed you, but no, but it's, <laughs> it was just so bad. It was just, there were so many things where like, if we were both, if one of us were like bad actors, like it could have gone south so quickly, but luckily like we're all happy. Like I'm still in con- still in touch with them today um i successfully own the the title now you know all of my family can eat their words um (laughs) (laughs) which is a little better you know yeah you know it's it was an upward uphill battle i don't i don't blame them for not wanting me to do it but i actually had a really awesome van life trip uh over it was in october Uh, i went from la to seattle in my van and then i drove across to yellowstone back down to utah and then vegas and then back to la so really awesome trip um so i'm happy with it it was just this crazy series of events to to be able to get to that point yeah i've never also heard of a person that said i want to sell this in bitcoin so that was a new one for me too (laughs) yeah Uh, i mean it makes it makes sense though because they were leaving like united states they don't use the u.s current like u.s dollar in germany So Bitcoin made more sense because it's like the same value outside of whatever country you're in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And if uh, you're listening and you enjoyed it, come next week. And if you liked it enough, you should give us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll see you all next week.